is Christine Conti, and you are listening to best-selling author of Split Second Courage. What if your fears were the key to your dreams? That's right, everyone. Available on Amazon right now as an ebook or paperback. Grab your copy today and unleash your inner superhero. What is holding you back from living the life you truly deserve? It is Christine Conti. And I'm Brian Prendergast. And we are two fit crazies. And a microphone. We are where it's at. Conti's challenging me over here today. <laughs> She's challenging me. Listen, I ain't scared, all right? Well, these are the conversations that only fit crazies have, where Brian's like, I ran a half marathon this morning. I'm on a streak. And I'm like, oh, you're running a half marathon every day? He's like, no, every week. I'm like, oh, kind of at thought least. you were going to do it every at day, least. which I don't recommend for your knees. What I, what was happening is I was getting in a little rut with the long run not being as long as it usually was, right? So like instead of your personal long run, my long run wasn't as long as oh, okay. as what it, like my weekly long run, the Sunday run, wasn't quite as long as why? Because uh, like things get busy and you know I wasn't really like I I didn't train for, I, I don't have a marathon on the schedule right now, so I'm not okay. really training training. Uh, I'm training. You train for me. I, no, Thank you for training. I'm for training me. for stuff. Oh, I'll run your race for you. That's no problem. Mm-hmm. But you know, so I said, all right. Instead of you know settling for the ten mile long run, make it a half. Make it a half. Make it a half. Then it was like run one a week, and you know, of course, there's more. Sometimes it's more than a half, but at least a half. And and uh, that's that. So I did it this morning. Get out of the way. You got great mindset. So then she says, hundred days in a row of." No, I didn't. Oh, I said it. You said that. All right, so maybe a hundred days of half marathons. We'll see. We'll see what happens. You're making that's an up. that's I'm, an honorable. It is. I just endeavor your knees. I'm just whatever. My hips. You sound like My you back. sound like Carol. Your Brian, knee, your knees. knees. <laughs> oh goodness! You know how many of my friends have had knee replacements. <laughs> Christ- All of them. Christine just turned into her mother. All of them. About my knees. I'm just worried about your knees. Your pension. <laughs> I'm worried about my own knees. <laughs> all right. All right. We digress. Okay. Angie so, Miller. Oh, my gosh. Angie Miller, who has her own program, psychotherapist, fitness educator, speaker, is just, did I say she works with NASM too? She's amazing. She actually hosts Strong Minds, Strong Body podcast that's sponsored by NASM. And she's an amazing woman. Her focus and her mission is to really bridge the gap between mental health and physical health. And she has a program, emotional, it's emotional motion for women, right? Emotional well-being for women she runs. Oh, my gosh. It, really interesting stuff. So she's a she's a mental health therapist and, you know, a, a fitness professional. So we know that the two go hand in hand, right? Some of the reasons that people ex- exercise exclusively is for the mental uh, reprieve or the mental strengthening or the mental aspect of the activity and what it returns. Um, you know, for others, it's completely lost on them and they maybe that's perhaps why they don't quite get it or stay with it or you know it doesn't stick she had some great great pearls of wisdom today and she's really going to make you think about your own 
mental health. What are you doing? Are you moving? And because she is so invested in the fitness industry and also in the mental health world, you know, things that are so simple, we're overlooking. And she had said, you know, what's the best way to feel good? And if you feel good doing something, what should you do? It, do whatever (laughs) that is, you know, and it's things in life that we are overlooking and and thinking, hey, I get a pill, let's do this quickly. You know, she's going to talk about, you know, the things in life that matter the most. They take time and they take tenacity. Do you have it? Are you surrounding yourself around people that are lifting you up, that share this method? And, you know, if you do need, you know, if you do need extra help, you do need some sort of mental support, it's okay to go talk to someone if you don't have people around you. Um, But this is such a great, real authentic conversation with Angie, and you are going to love it. Fantastic. Yeah. What does she say? You have to, if you have, you have to proclaim it if you want to tame it. Yeah. Was that it? I, yeah. Something, I didn't write that one down, but just, oh, just great. fantastic. Just a really good conversation. And, and, uh, she's doing fan, you know, just great work and, and lecturing on, on, on just this very thing. And, um, you know, you gotta fix yourself. How about that? Yeah. It's not our job to fix other people. You gotta fix yourself. Ah, uh, here, here. So, uh, we, Hope that you enjoy this one as much as we did. It's a it's a it's a great interview. Um, you know, great uh, conversation that we have with Angie, and uh, we hope you listen and enjoy it well. Take care. Another awesome episode of the Two Fit Crazies and a Microphone. And as you heard in our introduction, we are here with the amazing Angie Miller. Angie, how are you today? I am doing fantastic. How are you two doing today? Doing well. Crazy as ever. <laughs> mm-hmm. All right. That's, That's about right. it. right. Business as usual. Crazy oh, yeah. as ever. Oh, yeah. So let's, uh, let's get into this today. You happen to be very involved in the fitness industry. And I had the, I guess, the the honor, the pleasure of speaking with you on your podcast through NASM, Strong Minds, Strong Body. And tell us, first of all, fellow podcaster, we love it. We love it getting the word out there, pumping people up, inspiring people, Let's start here. What is Strong Minds, Strong Bodies about? Well, I think, you know, Strong Minds, Strong Body is about helping people feel healthy and well inside and out. So um, coming from a space where I've been in mental health for many years and I've also been in fitness for many years, to me it always seemed like, you know, a few decades ago when I would say to people, that I work in mental health and I work in fitness, they would look at me like I had six heads. Like there was just not a connection. And even now in the mental health community, 
Um, they don't know how to prescribe fitness and in the fitness community, they don't know how to prescribe or talk about mental health. And so to me, strong mind, strong body was my opportunity to finally have a platform to say, can I connect these two entities and talk about the psychology of being well inside and out. And NASM gave me that platform. So it feels pretty amazing. I, I love, I love this topic. I love, um, the, you know, the, blending of the two uh it's it's fantastic i mean uh most people will work out and to lose weight or weigh a certain thing and it's like for me it's like what else can we get out of this that's a little bit better than that i mean obviously that's somewhat important to or important to some people and uh you know but but really it's like how do you feel you feel good you know what you know what are your thoughts like what do what do we um you know, what are we really getting out of this that sometimes we get blinded by the scale, uh, that doesn't always right. work out that way. So, uh, so tell us, how do we, how do we, um, blend it? How do we, what do we look for first? I think we look, look for what, instead of like, what's the best way or the quickest way to lose five pounds, how about what's the best way to feel good? Because if you feel good, you're going to want to do it more and more and more. And the weight is going to be secondary right? It's like a good meal. You can eat five meals that aren't so good, or you can eat one meal that's really, really amazing. And uh, exercises like that, like why do a bunch of workouts that feel like torture? Isn't the goal that you exercise to feel good about yourself? And then that makes you want to do it more. It's not about, you know, our society is so wired to getting things faster, getting things yesterday. And uh, I want to order it online and I can have it by eight o'clock tonight. But all the things in life that matter the most, relationships, um, raising kids, those things take time and tenacity and constant work. That's what I think exercise is. It's just not a quick fix and neither is our mental health. You know, I wrote an article on exercise and anxiety and the research supports that. The unfortunate thing is if you have a low level of constant anxiety like I do, and I'm here to claim it because you got to claim it to tame it. Mm. Um, I can't just exercise on Monday and then I'm all good for my anxiety for the week. It's a continual process, but how is that any different from medication, right? It, it everything has a shelf or a half life. <laughs> so, yeah. I I love that you just said that exercise. I don't know that I've ever thought that before. That exercise is my medication. Oh, absolutely. Like, I just, I've I don't know. I thought of that but I just, more than anything. I don't think I've ever used that terminology because you always hear like exercise is medicine. And I always say, I don't know that it's, you know, that it's a panacea, that it, it cures everything. But a, I think it, to think of it as a type of medication. All right. Well, some people, you know, take vitamins for this or they need medication for something. That's why we have Western medicine. But, you know, as exercise is a medication, I think is, Ooh, I like that. I like how that sounds because you, yeah. like you said, a pill or whatever it is you're doing, you can't do it one day. I know if, you know, if I have a good workout on Monday as well, Tuesday, I'm like, okay, now what? Okay. Now, okay. Now I need to do something to get my mind right to conquer Tuesday, Wednesday, right. the same thing. And, you know, that is something, you know, when people say, oh, well, I, did my run for the week or I did my steps for the week. And I, did, and I'm like for the wait, it's, but it's Wednesday. What, what's the rest yeah. of the week? Right. It's right. not take two like of these I and call me in the goal. morning. 
Yeah. <laughs> well, and the thing is, is that I'm not anti-medication. I work in a space where I understand the role of medicine. And I understand that, that we, you know, there are many of us who need medications for different reasons. Um, but at the same time, I can also use exercise as a medication to supplement my health. So absolutely. For me, it's been a lifesaver inside and out. You know, uh, uh, anxiety runs in my family. We are not foreigners to anxiety. And so I tend to have fared better thanks to exercise. So, yeah. And, and anxiety and depression and, um, you know, even, uh, chemical dependency, uh, you know, all these things, uh, or, you know, or, or even just focus, right? Exercise is medicine for all of that. In fact, it's the most potent meta form of medicine that we know of. Uh, you know, that if we could prescribe it and put it in a pill in a bottle form and write a script and mm-hmm. pick it up at the pharmacy, uh, it would, you know, that somebody would make a lot of money off of it. Um, and, and, you know, the, uh, the pharmacies would, would run out of stock, right? If we had yes. the, whatever it is that, that, uh, you know, the, the chemical reaction that we get for all these stuff. So, so in addition to that, I just rattled off depression, anxiety, uh, you know, focus, what else, what else can we look at? What else can we help with exercise? I think that's good. I think the focus, I think, you know, the concentration, um, being able to settle the nervous system, being able to calm the mind. Um, you know, I look at it like I go and I exercise and I put a little deposit in my bank account and, uh, it's, it's like taking, um, so, so for me, it's like when the anxiety is high, there's ping pong balls in my brain and they're all like, pay attention, pay attention. <laughs> and then, um, when I exercise, I put little cotton balls in between them and the cotton balls are like, dude, slow down. Like, can you just stop fighting each other for space? Let's pull a cotton in here and slow these thoughts down. <laughs> so I, I call it the committee that lives in my head. And, and we, and we have a committee meeting every morning on the run. Uh, you know, I, I head out. Sometimes I see the sunrise and that's, feels really good. And, uh, you know, and we get the world all sorted out before, you know, sometimes before 6 a.m. And, uh, then, you know, I have a better day because of it. It's just, it's, I mean, it's about as scientific as that. I just, I just know that I'm better suited to, attack the day or live the day, uh, you know, with a little morning exercise. And then throughout the day, I'm, you know, constantly in the gym and, um, you know, and, and it also helps me as a trainer because I know the people that I'm going to see, chances are they need it. They need it too. Right. So I can relate and, and, and be empathetic to them and what they're, you know, maybe going through, but knowing that exercise and what they're doing with me at that time, uh, you know, is, is therapy and medicinal as much as anything. I love the committee meeting in your head. Oh yeah. No. I absolutely <laughs> love that. It's like, and, and sometimes people come, I don't know about you, but sometimes people come to the meeting uninvited 
and um and, and you're like you know what <laughs> yeah and you're belligerent. like there is there is not a seat at the table for mm-hmm. you and uh then you have to pick up your pace a little bit and be like nope 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 sorry you're not invited mm-hmm. to the table <laughs> so um that's a great analogy i thought i really like my ping pong and my cotton balls it's good. no i like, I the like that meeting in the head hey look so. well, well it's it's uh it's all free information here we can use it uh both i'm going to use ping pong balls i i mean i i i coach high school athletes too right man that's a crazy like between the ears that is a crazy scene uh you know yeah. the the kids are you know and, and it's track and field they get nervous and and i you know i just tell them everything relaxes more when you're doing the event you're running you know that's usually when you're calmest um, you know, right. it's leading up to it. It's, it's all of that, you know, the, the getting prepared. Maybe I'm jumping ahead a little bit cause I do want to talk to you about like preparing for sports and preparing for events and things like that, um, from your, uh, and your expertise. But yeah, I mean, it's, it's like, I'm way mellower. I'm a grouch if I don't get to exercise, right? How many times have you heard that in the field? Right. I get kicked right. out of my house. Get out. You need to go run, <laughs> go do something. Yes. I don't know what it yes. is. Go be a better person. I mean, I'm a better human being after I move and exercise. You're more mm-hmm. patient. You're happier. You think clearly. You know, the birds yeah. are chirping just a little bit louder yes. for you as you, you know. If, oh, every, if everybody in the world had a little morning exercise routine that, you know, a committee meeting, <laughs> um, <laughs> right. uh, I, I think we'd be living in a better place. I mean, that's, that's kind of why we're here. Before there'd we, be less, uh, there'd be less people flipping each other off on the highway and cutting in front of each other and needing to get that one car length ahead because that's going to make all the difference in their morning commute. Yes. So, you know, there'd be less of that. Maybe the news would be a little more uplifting than it is. Seriously, you can yeah. like take that in, <laughs> in shots or small doses. But right. go, um, before we get into, you know, preparedness and, and getting the mind right, you, are a psychotherapist? Is that your title? It depends, you know. So I work for a hospital system. We are now termed psychotherapists. Mm-hmm. Um, same thing as my license is a licensed clinical mental health counselor. Okay. So it's a long, long title. Um, but basically, I'm licensed as a counselor in the state of North Carolina, and uh, they call us clinical mental health counselors. But the same, uh, same kind of similar label as a psychotherapist. So um, that's how my my pay scale is determined. <laughs> right. That's that's what my paycheck says I am. <laughs> so. There you go. What what came first, that fitness? Uh, how did you, you know, what what was the beginning for you? Um, that's a great question. So actually what came first was me being a school teacher and then, um, joining a Bally's gym because I had moved to Kansas city, Missouri, and I didn't know anybody. And I was 22 and I was like, gosh, you know, I kind of want to meet some boys and um, some (laughs) friends. And I was teaching with all traditionally women because, you know, I'm of a certain age where most people who taught, elementary school were women and um they were lovely and i had a whole group of moms but no friends or boys so i i joined a bally's gym and one of the gals was like you should teach fitness classes and i was like oh cool i love to tell people what to do (laughs) sign me up so fitness came first then i went and got my master's in mental health and then 
continued into fitness as an educator, speaker, started traveling, writing, being able to podcast, do a lot of video and audio content, and then taught at a university, taught stress management and sports psychology at Northern Illinois University. And during that time, my mom passed and I was like, you lost your way. You got off the beaten path. You left mental health behind. And in teaching university students stress management, teaching that as a course, I also got to teach sports psychology. I realized that that whole bridging of those two bodies, I had really lost my way. I'd gone full on fitness and I needed to get back to, you know, what kind of brought me into mental health in the first place. So my mom passed and, um, took me a few years, actually. I had to take go back to graduate school, take more courses, update my license, give a lot of blood, sweat, and tears, take um, a national exam. Re-entering a field when you leave it for a bit is, is a bit complicated, especially in mental health. There's a lot of very, very strict licensure laws, and states don't play together. So states all have their own concept of what will make you a good therapist, um, according to how many hours you have. So did that. And, uh, yeah, did I answer your question? Did I just go way off the beaten path? No, no, it's good. It's good. I, I, I get it. Fitness was first. Yes, you did answer yeah. it. Uh, so what, was there ever a moment where you kind of, you know, really saw that there is a connection between fitness and the mental aspect or approach to it? I mean, was it like, holy, I'm like, I have like, I have experience in both and I can really put these together. I think, um, sorry about that. That's okay. So that, I have a herding breed of a pup and, um, I'm not sure what he sees. Maybe Amazon, perhaps someone <laughs> ordered something from Amazon. He is especially triggered by that poor gentleman. All good. Um, so, uh, I think some of the real pivotal moments in that journey was watching my mom pass. Um, and again, kind of working with those university students and seeing they, I taught in a, um, exercise science program. So I was hired to teach stress management because they had this course on their exercise science program, which is, I think, amazing. Not very many universities offer a full-on three-credit course to university students on how to manage stress, even though I fully believe every university should. And I saw these students really struggling, wanting to go into health and fitness, but really struggling, you know, emotionally going through all the struggles that kids go through when they're in college. And I, I personally love college kids. And, um, and then seeing my mom struggle uh, through her journey Seeing my family who, again, you know, anxiety runs rampant, depression. So I was like, I seem to, again, you know, kind of have fared a little bit better in managing all of that, keeping it all reined in and keeping a tight lid on it and looking to the outside world like I had it all together. Isn't that the whole point? And, um, and I realized that exercise really was the it factor and all of that. Exercise was really what kind of gave me body confidence. And that led itself to confidence in my mental and emotional health. <clears throat> and it also gave me that tool that I knew that I had, you know, I didn't, didn't need the other sometimes less healthy tools that sometimes people turn to in order to get through those difficult feelings. 
So there's there's so much to unload with the physical, emotional, mental. What are some of the things that you have encountered with whether it be your students or you know your clients, people you've worked with? What have you really seen that you would say is the top issue going on? Hmm. You know, it's a tough one because I think that so many times there's more than one thing going on, Mm -hmm. right? Like there's a lot of comorbidity and so, but I just think that, I think that what made me kind of choose to write about exercise and anxiety is because generalized anxiety disorder, most people are not strangers to anxiety um, on some levels and they don't often recognize it as such. Maybe, you know, for some people it shows up differently. A lot of times, like especially in teenagers, depression and anxiety can come across as a lot of anger. Um, men can actually translate it into anger. Anger is an emotion people can understand. It feels darn good. Um, but the opposing side of anger is often sadness and despair. And so, you know, most people would rather show up with their fists loaded than show up in a puddle of tears. So I guess I think that there's a huge correlation between helping to mitigate anxiety with exercise. And if you can help to mitigate anxiety, you can put yourself in a more comfortable space to eliminate some of the other stuff that anxiety can lead to. So I, I'm glad you brought up the, the, you know, the gender, uh, issue. I, you know, I, I, not issue, but aspect of it. Um, you know, men, men suffer from this just the same. Uh, we display it in different ways, uh, no doubt about it. Uh, and, and yeah, that angry person with the back against the wall and the Duke's up ready to brawl, uh, you know, mm-hmm. is often, uh, a very insecure, a very, um, scared person. Um, and you know, it, it and it's, you know, it, it, like you said, it, it just kind of presents itself in different ways. So uh, what are some of the things that you do see from, you know, from one side or the other? You know, what what are we more apt to see from a woman than, than a man? And what do we, you know, you see professionally from a man than a woman so that we can kind of, you know, use it uh, as information to help people? You know, it's funny that because I find that that question is... I think we're trying to be, you know, we're living in a world where I think we're putting less emphasis on gender and more emphasis on individuality and um, identifying very uniquely for all of us. And so it's kind of hard to answer that Fair. question, but Fair. I, that's good. I think that, um, you know, just in my own marriage, I mean, I would say my husband very comfortable with using strong emotion, not so comfortable with shedding tears, right? So um, I will talk things through until you turn blue in the face. And, you know, some people just want to get straight to the point. Um, I think that the most, you know, I think that when it comes right down to it, the best way to manage anxiety for all of us is to understand and figure out what manages anxiety for you. First of all, figure out how it shows up in your life. Is that where the anger's coming from? Because there's as many angry, you know, <clears throat> women as men and so on and so forth. It just shows up differently. Um, so figure out what emotion is coming up that's getting in your way. 
Like, what do you keep stumbling on? What do you keep tripping over? And, and no matter where you go and who you're interfacing with that, that emotion tends to get in your way and in your space and hold you back and then figure out what is underneath it. Start unpacking it, unwrapping the package and figuring it out. What's at the core of it. And that's where the, that's where the work comes in right? That's where the work comes in, figuring out when you unwrap that package and you've just opened Pandora's box. Um, and I don't think we need to go back to, you know, Freud's couch mm-hmm. and do deep psychotherapy. I do short-term solution-focused therapy. I'm a solution-focused girl. Where are you now? Where do you want to be? Right. Um, I, I, insurance is not going to pay for that deep psychotherapy anymore, <laughs> but there's the, you know, there's a lot of good work on say attachment, how you attach in relationships and, and all of that. And so it, to me, it's always a, a work in progress of not, this is where I got screwed up or this is where my parents screwed me up. Can we not do that? Can we just say, this is who I am now. And, um, and now this is who I'd like to be. So what can help me get there? All right, I'm taking notes here. Don't blame your parents. Okay. <laughs> oh my gosh. Fair thank enough. you. Fair enough. All right. Yeah, right. <laughs> so Angie, a lot of a lot of people who listen to this show, they you know, fitness enthusiasts, fitness professionals, maybe people working with you know, working through anxiety or working through issues. But as a as a fitness professional, let's go there for a second. And Obviously, if you're a fitness professional, you may not be, you know, like yourself, kind of a unicorn. You're also, you know, have these degrees in, you know, psychotherapy and and mental health. Now, the average, I would say the average trainer, fitness professional does not have this education. However, Mm -hmm. what advice could you give to them? You know, they notice that some of their clients or certain people are you know, something's not right. Something's wrong. They're, you know, anxious, depressed, whatever it is. What is it that you can do as a fitness professional to help that person, but remain in your scope of practice? Mm, Yeah, that's an excellent question. How do you stay in your lane, but still show up for people? Right. And, uh, I think one of the best things we can tell ourselves, and I, you know, I, I remind myself of this every day, even as a therapist, it's not my job to fix people. It's people's job to fix themselves. And so I can share space with them, guide them on their journey, collaborate with them. A lot of what I do in short-term therapy comes from the, the research that's been done in like motivational interviewing. And then there's the type of therapy called short-term uh, or solution-focused brief therapy. And so I think that there's a lot that fitness professionals can take from that, mostly the work on like motivational interviewing, just acting as a collaborator and a guide, not the director. You're not the one driving the car. They are. And so if you notice that there's something going on, I'd say two things. First of all, it's enough just to show up for people and share space with them. You don't have to fix them. You don't have to have answers. And secondly, it's also really pretty significant to notice from an empathic place that somebody might 
do well. Like that's a lot that you're sitting with. That's a lot that you're having to work through. Um, and come from it from a personal, like, I know I've seen, I've talked to somebody professionally before. Um, do you think that would be comfortable for you? Like inviting that in, but not from you need to get help said no one ever in a helpful way. Um, and so, um, that comes across as very derogatory and very, um, there's something wrong with you. And that I think is where we go wrong in mental health is you don't have to talk to somebody because something's wrong with you. Um, as a matter of fact, I think it's very nice to talk to somebody period. Right. <laughs> cause, cause all of us have stuff to work on. So, um, so just share space with them, but also encourage them to get help from the proper people. You know, we're, we have to stay in our lane, even in mental health. I don't give fitness advice cause I'm, that's not what they're paying me for. And when I'm on the fitness floor training somebody, I don't give mental health advice. I'm a therapist, but mm. I'm not their therapist. So Can I, yeah, even, I even love that. I, I do love it, but I think that knowing that exercise mm-hmm. does work so much and that you are in both and you can help them with fitness and I guess vice versa. Right. Um, you know, is there, you know, is there a reason why you wouldn't offer fitness advice or just at least suggest, you know, a, a walk even, um, you know, as a means of, of, of therapy or helping them, you know, figure it I'm out. I'm glad you brought that up. Cause I'm like, yeah, I really should clarify that. Cause I always do. I always talk about, I'll start out by talking about self-care. What do you do that makes you feel good about you? What do you do to connect with you? And then if I don't hear anything about walking, because generally walking is my go-to. Right. If I don't hear anything about walking, or maybe I hear something that sounds like, I'm lonely, I just moved here, I took this job, I don't have any friends. Well, I know how I made friends, I joined a gym. So I might say, well, you know, would it, do you exercise? And then I'll say, you know, have you thought about doing it in groups where you can meet a community of people? So I'll bring it up in that way, but not from a prescription standpoint. Right. Um, but from a standpoint of, have you thought about this as an option to feel better? Right, right. It's not like, okay, wake up, warm a glass of lemon water and a walk, and you'll be uh, healed yes. for the day. Yeah. You are going to be perfect. Yeah. yeah. Six courses of kale. Oh, right? <laughs> no. You know what? I, I, I wrote something down earlier, and and you said it. You had body confidence, um, mm-hmm. body confidence. And that was something that was helpful to you in teaching, I, I think is when you, you, you referred mm-hmm. to it. Um, you know, sometimes I think that the fitness industry gets it wrong for making things too much about the body and the look of the body and the aesthetics of, you know, how we're supposed to look and, you know, the Instagram famous, uh, fitness, uh, you know, uh, influencers are they and you know all these things it's always body 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 Brian there is a class that I just saw yesterday Uh, and it's called muffin blast muffin blast (laughs) okay this is a real like uh, and I always I kid you know after doing the eating disorder or disordered eating course with Carly um, we we've been really hypersensitive and really trying to make some waves in you know just language and whatnot and like you're saying with body you know, body confidence, right. like how is the, like, I think there's two sides of what you're saying. It's and, like, yeah. what is happening? But it was important to you. It was helpful to you. Like you had confidence to, you know, to 
stand, I guess, in front of people and present and, 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 you know, have it, you know, make you feel like you were worthy of what you were doing. Um, you know, so I guess just it's something I just wrote it down. Talk to us more about that. I'm so glad that, that you said that both of you, because Christine, you're right. And here's, there's two nuances to this. So one would be the way that I grew up. So I grew up with five girls and a single mom and, um, not a lot of financial resources. And so athleticism and sporting activities, I always joke that I was not sporty spice. And so gym class would come and we did the traditional sports, right? Cause I'm of a certain age where gym was very traditional. It was very shaming. If you couldn't catch a ball, good luck. Okay. So, and, um, so we did all the units were like baseball, basketball, um, it was all very uh, male-dominated at that time, seemingly type of sports, right? And um, I was not athletic. I had four older sisters and my mom. My mom worked constantly. She, going to the gym would have been like a, um, first of all, there weren't really women in the gym back then, unless they were doing jazzercise or something. <laughs> um, and, and secondly... It would have been like such a privilege to my mom to have had an hour of her day to go to the gym and exercise. So the bottom line is I didn't even, I just thought that I was scared of every sport or activity out there. I didn't know anything about my body and how to use it. And so when I joined this gym, I think I even told Christine this on my on my podcast, when I was in college, um, I'm really aging myself here, but Jane Fonda, when she first started, had these workouts on audio cassettes and they came with like this folded map of pictures on how to do the exercises. Mm -hmm. So my girlfriends and I got in between the elevators and the dorm floor. And every time the door would open and everybody would be out drinking, they'd heckle us and call to us as we were doing like the fire hydrants and stuff. So they're again, a <laughs> shaming experience. And so when I moved to Kansas City and didn't know anybody and somebody said, you should join a gym. I was like, yeah, okay. I basically, what came from that was I discovered that I could use my body and that I actually was an athlete. And then I didn't have to be an athlete and what I grew up to believe the traditional sense, but that my body had power. My body could do things. It could lift. It could run. It could exercise. I could get my heart rate up. And I began to trust my body. And in trusting my body, I built even more confidence about myself. When you understand your body and what it can do, you understand you more. You present yourself more confidently. But not from the standpoint of anything to do with weight, but from the standpoint of being able to use my body in a way to empower me. And that was a very new thing for me. No one in my family exercised. I taught them all about exercise. I would come home and get my sisters to go to the gym with me and teach them fitness routines. It's it awesome. was a, it was a new concept. Very cool. So, yeah. So now, all right. You said your body had power. You learned to trust it. That obviously didn't happen overnight. What, what went, what, how did you feel starting out, you know, after having this experience in high school? And what's interesting is now, don't you dare call 
gym gym. It's phys ed. <laughs> Physical education. Oh, Don't you say that to a to a gym teacher. <laughs> it's phys ed teacher. <laughs> um which is interesting because we all, you know, grew up with a different you know, view of, you know, you did your, you ran your mile, you did your fitness challenge every year, you did your push-ups and your sit-ups and your V-sit and reach. And, um, Mm -hmm. I mean, I had a terrible experience growing up in phys ed until I was in high school and realized, okay, I'm an athlete and yes, I know how to use my body, but growing up, I mean, many people had these terrible experiences with, and this is the first time that they are experiencing movement and coming into their body and coming into their own and growing and coordination. And the first thing that they experience is failure or shame or ridicule. Mm -hmm. And that stays with you. Why am I, I mean, you made it past this and you said, I'm going to go to the gym, but what advice would you give people that Maybe they had experiences of that was awful. I don't ever want to catch a ball because when we had to play dodgeball, which is now like outlawed because <laughs> apparently it's dangerous. I don't know. I think it built character, but I was an assassin. Yes, yes. But you know, hey, I got hit. That was the kid who got hit in the face every day with a dodgeball. You're not going to want to yeah. do anything for yourself. Right. How do you change that mindset? You know. I think the interesting thing is I skipped a big piece of the puzzle in there, the ugly piece, which was I went away to college and gained a lot of weight and um, came back looking different. And that was, um, that was, that was a difficult experience for me because I didn't know how to use my body. I didn't, I had never just gained weight or even thought about, food intake or exercise or any of that. And so then in truth, exercise, when I first started, before I started teaching fitness, became more shaming, became more, you have to go get on the Stairmaster because you need to lose weight. It really wasn't until I started sharing fitness with other women in a fitness room and enjoying the movement experience and having fun and building community and laughing that I was able to move away from that. But I think for me personally, it's been a lifetime journey of, of exploring my body and having periods where you go from icky feelings to good feelings. Um, let's just say that I don't know very many of my girlfriends and this is just me and my girlfriends who could not safely say that they've had some disordered eating patterns throughout their life. And I am here to say, I have had some disordered eating patterns throughout my life. And it's taken me decades to rein it in and recognize that for me, it was emotional eating. Food was my tool to deal with stress um, not really ever, not really much of a, a, a withholder girl, you know, it was the opposite. Right. Um, and then using exercise to get rid of the extra calories. And, uh, and so that was where I really started to recognize the role of anxiety and how much that was coming into food being a tool, that type of thing. So, and yeah, and it's, that was, that was a lot. Yeah, absolutely. And, and thank you for sharing that. It's, it's, 
you know, it's 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 a fitness issue. It's a mental health issue. It's again, we're blending these two these two fields, and uh, you know, we need more experts like you uh, to to really, you know, because we we want it all. Right. We sometimes, like I said earlier, you know, we do things for a number on a scale and that's like if that's all we get out of it. Well, that's not enough. Right. We want it all. We want to feel good. We want to be good. We want to live long, happy, healthy lives um, mentally and physically. And they, you know, and and a lot of time that that that's lost on that. So um, and, you know, the disordered eating is to get the one thing. It's to get, you know, the weight off or to you know to mm-hmm. or the visual the visual of being thin um you or know, to put weight on or yeah you know or to put I weight mean, on sure this. sure 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 um and yeah. you know we just want to you know it's just another area where you know coming into this i didn't even really think about it because my mind usually goes to performance and how i can use my mind to help performance and things which i still want to get to but you know it's just another area where these two um uh you know things and 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 modalities of of education and profession can really help each other um with with everything that you're doing how much do you get into the disordered eating and things like that with clients i mean is that something you see quite often I refer them out. Yeah. I am not an expert and it's that's a that's a difficult field. Um that is not my lane. It's not my lane at all. It's a difficult field. I can empathize. Um I've read a lot of the studies and the research. It's not a place where I want to put my focus. Good. Um I tell you a turning point for me though was when my mom uh struggled with dementia. And that's when I really changed why I exercised. It was, you know what, this is ridiculous. You're focused on the wrong thing. You're focused on getting into your skinny jeans to hell with that. You just want to know where they are someday. And, um, you know, so that's really, that was that pivotal moment of, come on, man, you're focused on the wrong thing here. Um, and in truth, you know, the funniest thing is, is that, for, you know, we, we all look better when we feel healthy, right? <laughs> because right. how we look is an expression of how we feel. So just feel healthy, however you find that feeling. To, so To piggyback on what you just said, something really powerful that I just remembered that I used to tell people, and I, we all need to do this sometimes. If you go back um, – and look at pictures, actual pictures, like before they were on the phones. Remember? <laughs> Remember this? Like real pictures. You got them developed. I had a powerful moment. I don't know when the first time I did this was, but, um, you know, as someone who's, you know, struggled with depression and eating and all, all, the, all the things, all the boxes, right? Struggled with all the boxes. And I remember going back to look at pictures. And the pictures that I looked at of myself that... I remember when that was taken and I remember my mindset and Mm -hmm. I also remember that, you know, maybe I wasn't the best at this. Maybe I wasn't the thinnest at this. Maybe I didn't have, you know, defined muscles or whatever it was. Nothing about that picture reminded me of, wow, oh, I, I remember being unhappy or, you know, going through control issues or whatever it was, there was no over anxiety or over depression, whatever it was in that picture. And I didn't mm-hmm. care about how I looked. 
and I think it's really important for people to go back sometimes. Just, just so I follow, is that this? So is that to say that like you were happy and things were going right? well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I, you know, and I remember looking at these pictures and I'm like, okay, well, I wasn't running that fast or or you know withholding food or whatever it was. Yeah, you were just happy. I was just happy, <laughs> and and I go mm-hmm. back and look at the pictures and say, well, what was I doing that I felt so good physically and mentally? And those are the things, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll tell people, you know, oh, you're having a rough time. You're, you're having issues with sleep and anxiety and food and this. And I want you to go back and find a picture where you were really happy. So then it kind mm. of puts that, that visual you have, you know, maybe tactile. If you have the actual picture, I loved that as well. And I said, take that picture out, put it on your desk, take a look at it. Remember what that person was doing at the time. And again, you I don't, really like that. Yeah. You don't want to go backwards, but it's a good reminder of mm-hmm. if you don't like where you are, how can we get back to that mindset? Well, you know, I use pictures in a different way. And I wrote a blog about this actually was using pictures as a way to how you might, somebody might take a picture of you. You look at it and you're like, ah, and the first thing you do, pick, 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 mm-hmm. pick, 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 pick. I mean, to this day, I do it. I can't deny it. I'm not going to sit here and act like I look at a picture and go, oh, wow, I love that wrinkle. Please bring me some more. Um, Filter smooth. Yeah, right. (laughs) Um, You know, I look back at picture. I look at a picture and my mind wants to, you know, first focus on what I don't like. And so I wrote a really a blog years ago about what if you notice when you look back at a picture from five years ago, 10 years ago, and you're like, gosh, I look pretty good. Mm -hmm. And yet I remember looking at that picture and hating that picture and saying, oh my gosh, this looks wronger. Oh, what's, oh, don't take that. Don't show that. And then I look back five, 10 years later, I'm like, oh, what I wouldn't do to look like that now, what I wouldn't do to have that skin that I had five, 10 years ago, or to have that, you know, those, those muscular arms that I had 10 years ago. And time gives you perspective and you look at yourself through such a kinder lens. And if only, if only we could look at through that lens at the picture that we see today. Yeah. We would be better. I, you know, I, I say sometimes, I say, you know, see see yourself the way you see yourself in the good mirror, right? Or see yourself the way that mm. your kids see you, right? Like a goddamn superhero, right? Like that, you know, like they don't, they don't judge you in the same way that, that we do. And we all have that one mirror in our house where we look better, right? And, you know, right see yourself right. the way you see yourself in the good mirror. Um, you know, and, and that's just the way to kind of, you know, Again, the committee that lives in the head will tell you tell you a bunch of nonsense, and uh, you know we kind of have to sift through it and figure out what's real and what's not, and just kind of be happy with the way that we are now, and and not regret it, uh, and look at it later in life and say, boy, I should have been more happy then. I was good. I didn't know yeah. it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, tell me. So true. Uh, tell me now. I, I I touched on it a couple of times. Um, like performance and and getting prep for. Uh, you, you know, events and having dealing with nerves and, you know, the mental approach to some of these uh, things, whether it's a competition or, uh, right, Christine's got you mean, a- you mean not everyone cries right before they do something? 
No, that's I, just me. And 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 look, and I'm. This is. I so, own it. I own it. This is a selfish question, right? I need the info for not only myself but the athletes that I train and 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 people. Uh, you know, and it it can be. I I always say, look, if you're nervous, it's probably because you're going about to do something that's really cool uh, and important and worthwhile and exciting and scary, scary. and right. Like I've never <laughs> been never been more scared than driving to the hospital to have my children. Right, like you know, with my wife in the sitting in the front seat, and it's like that's a nerve wracking thing. One of the best moments of my life is about to happen, but you know, I'm 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 a little nervous about this right now. Same with the race. Races that we run, you know, I get nervous before the marathons. Meanwhile, you know, three hours later, I'm going to have one of the best moments of my life, and I'm going to, you know, that no one will ever be able to take away from me. Um, so, talk about maybe a, a bit of that approach if you ever encounter it. If not, you know, for personally or professionally, but in um, with the people you speak with on your show. Yeah, I think that's a good question. And I think I'm with Christine. I mean, every time, like, let's say I go do a presentation and it's, it's, it's a conference that I wanted so bad to get into. I can't wait. I can't wait. And then two seconds before I've got massive imposter syndrome and, yes. um, you know, why did they even do this? And am I really meant, you know, what if this happens? What if that, what if I never get invited back and I'm already future tripping? Um, and so I think that the best, the best way to prep is to prep, right? We all know that. I mean, the more prepped you are, the more you're going to go in ready for whatever comes your way. So I think that sometimes what happens is perfectionists have a hard time prepping because the anxiety gets the best of them and they, they procrastinate, 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 procrastinate. And it's almost like a self-fulfilling prophecy, right? So you have to make sure that that imposter syndrome does not that perfectionism does not grab the wheel and take over because you won't prep at all because you'll basically go into that self-fulfilling prophecy mode of, well, if I'm going to fail, I'm going to fail good. And so you really have to have, I think, some concrete deadlines of this is what I want to accomplish when very, very, very small attainable goals and getting toward where it is that you want to go and have a very consistent routine because we all thrive through routine. All of us do. You know, we go on vacation, we can't wait to get away. And then what about that last day? We're like, oh, I can't wait to get home and sleep in my own bed and have routine again. So we thrive from routine. Routine is predictable. It feels safe. So create a safe routine in your preparation. Create some, some whatever it is, you know, um, like I just had a gentleman on my podcast and we were talking to some, something similar to this. And he was talking about like how some of the athletes all were rubber band on their finger and they screw up and they snap it. And then they have a mm-hmm. phrase like, um, okay, reset, you know, whatever it is. I mean, you have to kind of get yourself and say, okay, I can't go swimming in this cesspool of everything I did wrong. So all you can do is prepare the best you can have a set routine, um, set small goals along the way, and then go in and know that even if it's not your best, um, there's always going to be a next time, right? That's right. I mean, we are not, we can't always be our best or what would our best be? It's all relative, isn't it? Yes. But that goes back to what you said before. Show up. Yeah. That's it. it. I mean, show up, show up, show prepared. up, show up for, you know, whatever it is that you have going on in life, show up for yourself. And yeah, that's one of the, I just did it. I was just speaking a career day yesterday and I was telling the kids, I'm like, show up. I'm like, I haven't won one damn marathon that I've run yet. 
I came in second mm-hmm. once, and it wasn't like a big one. It was, but I was like, but not even that. You came in second once. Don't do that. Second. Don't do that to one yourself. time. But like, that's the thing. It's you know you keep showing up because you enjoy it. Sometimes you right. do well. Sometimes you you know do the exact opposite of well, <laughs> and and you know that it's this is something you want to do, and you keep showing up like our. You're doing your podcast, you know, with with Brian and I and this show. How do you what was it? I think um, I don't know. It was like 90 something percent of everyone who starts a podcast or starts something, you know, a show or what in, in general. I think it's probably higher than 90. They start yeah. it and then they don't. Finish and if it. you make it to mm. 10 episodes, it's like you're you're going to make it or something ridiculous like that because oh, wow. everyone yeah. stops and. You know, I I guess, you know, when Brian and I started, we're like, the one thing that we've had is consistency. And it's, you know, we say that every week, you know, usually it's every Friday or, you know, could be twice a week sometimes. Maybe we have to take a week because someone's traveling. We do do 50 shows a year. At at least. Yeah. Yeah. And, but that is, you know, this is our thing. And it's, you know, we have... If one of us leaves, like we, all of our marketing is messed up. So we're kind of stuck together. <laughs> yeah, at can't, this have, point. can't do that. So can't have like, two fit well, crazies with only one fit crazy. Right. It's not yeah, going to happen. So that. we're like stuck together. We could, we could absolutely hate each other at some point in life, which we're not going to, but. Oh my God. Yeah. See? Never. Conti, <laughs> is that how you feel? All right. We'll talk later. Like we're going to have to just work it out. <laughs> That's hysterical. Well, showing up, if you think about it, showing up, that consistency is safety right? Mm -hmm. Think about people in your life and they're consistent in their demeanor. So you trust them more. That's safe to you. Mm -hmm. Right. And so that is, that is so much of the battle. And I think along with showing up is showing up for you with blinders on and knowing like a lot of times I think what gets into our space is competition and knowing that other people would love to be doing what we're doing. And so then we start to focus on, well, I hope I can perform. I hope I can live up to everyone's expectations. But at the end of the day, if people are competing with you, it's because they admire what you're doing. They want to be you. And so use it as the wind beneath your wings. Like I'm where I'm in a place where people would want to be. Otherwise they wouldn't be paying attention. So. That's yeah. that's so important to say when people think about success too, because mm-hmm. you know is your success based on, hey, I'm in the fitness and wellness industry and I'm making, you know, millions and millions of dollars, or are you in the fitness and wellness industry? You love what you do. You're making a decent living, and is that your success? Right. You're happy. Mm-hmm. Right. You love yes. it. You go to work. It's never work. Yeah. It's right. true. Very true. Angie, what is on the agenda for you with the podcast, with NASM, with conferences? What's going on as the world opens back up? Are you traveling again? What are you doing? I am. So I'll be at Idea World in July and uh, I'll be at Asia Fit in Bangkok in um, the for Asia Fitness. When is that? September 30th to October 2nd, I think. Um, I'll be at a couple mental health conferences. I'll still be doing my Strong Mind, Strong Body podcast, which we live stream every Tuesday at noon. And then the audio comes out on Wednesdays. Um, I just wrote a chapter for women's core or women's fitness. I wrote a core chapter. 
So I still love to just speak uh, all things health, fitness, and mental health. And uh, who knows, maybe someday, maybe someday I'll write a program for MedFit. So um, <laughs> it's uh, it's all good. The world, you know, there's, there's a couple things you can do from the comfort of your home, like writing, which I love to do. And then there's things you get to go out and explore the world, which is speaking, which I love to do. So, yeah. All right. Well, I like a little bit of it all. We're right with you. We are right with you. And what we really need you to do is go and tell that mental health field industry out there that uh, that fitness works and we exist and we're just over here like, hey, how's it yeah. going? Hey, remember us? Yeah, we'll be here mm-hmm. when you need us. Um, you know, because I think that there's probably a little pushback from, from there too, right? Maybe that they mm-hmm. don't quite understand or they're easy to prescribe medicine instead. Um, but, uh, so you do your thing out there, all right? You keep, keep, uh, keep pushing my, pushing the info and dropping mics on them and, uh, and, uh, we will, uh, be ready and waiting for them, uh, once they're ready for us. Because we're awesome. too fit crazies, which is kind of funny because <laughs> when we talk about mental health, like, you know, we are crazy, but in a good way. Oh, the I best mean, way possible. Because doing the same thing is called insanity. So we are fit. Right. We are fit mental. We are fit physical. I mean, hopefully mental a little bit, but you have to have a little. We're getting better. We're getting better. No, we're not. Progress. So, but fit, fit and crazy. We're always changing. We're always trying to push, you know, the limits of mental, physical health. And that's what I think everyone needs to think about. I know we're, we got to be uncomfortable. That's what life is. So we appreciate everything that you're doing to bring awareness to both mental and physical health because it is one. And hopefully everyone listens to your show as well as the two fit crazies, you know, that's right. You know, all of us. I hope so too. I hope so too. And uh, any last, any last golden uh, nugget you'd like to leave our listeners with? You know, I think I've, I think I've uh, expended all my golden nuggets, <laughs> but I do want to say that I really appreciate you two. I appreciate the authenticity. I appreciate the conversation and just being able to sit back in our, in our spaces and share authentic dialogue. I think that if we do that more, um, we can invite other people to do that. Vulnerability is really what connects us all. Um, there's a lot of people out there who think that it's important to be happy all the time. I don't think that. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't think that we need to go around and, you know, be any one emotion all the time. But I think that if we share more authentic spaces with one another and we lift one another up versus seeing one another as competition, then we will all get where we want to be. And there's room for everyone. So here, here. All right. You know what? That is just a fantastic ending to a wonderful show. And with that said, it is Christine Conti. And I'm Brian Prendergast. And we are two fit crazy. And the microphone. We are where it's at. Peace.